Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Your Meets in brackets via Skype as I chat to Brody King, uh, my best friend, uh, my new best friend as of August this year, um, someone I've got a lot of time for and as it's edge day today, celebrating uh, being straight edge and people who are straight edge and two straight edge lads talking to each other about being straight edge and wrestling and music and ambitions and various other things. So do enjoy having a listen. Um, a few little plugs. Obviously, Tuesday Night Jaw is part of the Distraction Pieces Network. Trying to knock out a lot more episodes than I have been doing over the course of the summer where it's a little bit slow. Um, but <laughs> my plan to put one out last week was waylaid by me being super busy again. Um, I'm hoping that I've got quite a few weeks now. I can uh, stockpile a few episodes and make sure there's one going up every week. Thank you for your patience during the summer while I've been a little bit slow. Um, you can now get this podcast on Spotify, as you can everything on the Distraction Pieces Network. So if you are a Spotify user, then you can get us through Spotify, which a lot of people were super happy about. So that's really, really cool. Obviously, we're still on iTunes and via Acast and all that other stuff. Um, if you do like the podcast, please rate, review, recommend it to people. Point people at jimsmallman.com slash TNJ, where all the links uh, and archived episodes all are listed um, so yeah, that's all really cool. Um, me, I'm at Jim Smallman on Twitter. If you ever want to get involved in the podcast, tweet me. Use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw so I actually know we're talking about wrestling and you're not uh, talking to me just about comedy or music or football or just progress or whatever. And speaking of progress, progresswrestling.com for upcoming tickets. On Monday, tickets for Super Strong Style 16 next May go on sale at Alexandra Palace. Um, so do get on board with those if you want to be coming along for the whole weekend. Um, super excited about that. Already starting to make some cool plans for that. And demand-progress.com uh, is where you can watch every single show Progress have ever made, including all of our shows in America and Germany that we've done recently. And of course, Hello Wembley that we did on September the 30th. Now, um, with Hello Wembley, the show overran a little bit, which we're very sorry about. So we put the main event up for free for anyone who may have missed it and just for people who want to watch it. So if you're not a Demand Progress subscriber and you actually want to watch that match, you can for free. Demand-Progress.com. Watch Walter against Tyler Bates, which is one of my favourite matches we've ever done. One of the best main events we've ever done. One of the best matches, for my, in my opinion, um, on British soil ever. So give it a watch because it's quality. Um, and I think that's it, plugs-wise. I think we plug Brody's stuff at the back end of the podcast, uh, but he's Brody X King on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, and uh, he's got an online store and stuff like that, so do make sure you check him out. Because not only is he a great dude, um, but he has really cool merch, and he's an absolutely awesome professional wrestler. Really, really, really good. The whole world's ahead of him. He's only been wrestling for three years. He's really going to make it big. Um, and I'm not just biased because he's my best friend. Um, but I genuinely really, really rate him. I think there's something really special about him. Um, and I think it comes out when you talk to him as well. Because he's a good dude. And he's interesting and he's unusual. So, uh, yeah, have a listen. Check this out. And I'll catch you on the other side. Cheers. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So my guest today on Tuesday Night Jaw is my new best friend as of August this year, uh, the wonderful Mr. Brody King. Hello, mate. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, happy Edge Day as well. Yes, it's... Uh quite a coincidence that we're doing it today it is and because we were meant to talk yesterday we were meant to talk last week and then time got ahead of us and then we were meant to talk this week and uh, earlier in the week and time got ahead of us and then when i realized that we'd end up talking today and people were tweeting me about what day it was i was like yeah it's perfect yeah. <laughs> i guess it was <laughs> meant to be it is it's as close to fate as i believe in um uh, so Anyway, how are you? Um, it's, it feels like it's been ages uh, since I've actually spoken to you, apart from via messaging you on WhatsApp um, after a week of, of pretty much being together for a whole week in, uh, in America. But, but how are things? Uh, things are good. Things are busy. And yeah, it has felt like it's been forever. Yeah, it was a good week, wasn't it, that week? It was a great week. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't think I've explained this story to to many people. So like we'd already joked that we were going to kind of be friends anyway because of the stuff that we're into and, and, and things like that. And then the first time I properly met you was when we were we were in uh, the hotel in New York that we were staying in. And I walked in and realized you were, were sat there. I think you were eating, maybe eating breakfast or lunch or something. And I walked in and sort of said hi, and we got chatting. And from that point onwards, it was just like, no, nope, that's it. We're going to be inseparable. We're going to hang out even when uh, when Eddie Kingston tells us hilarious stories. That's what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was a good week. And I got to see how over you are in the city of Seattle, which is <laughs> really, really, really over. Um, so, and also for for people who aren't aware, like I mean, it's not like you're sort of you know decades into wrestling you're you're not i mean it's not like you're you're brand new to it but you've not been around this for ages have you this is um for you to be as busy as you are and and in the in the position you are at the minute it's 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 pretty cool isn't it yeah it's uh definitely pretty awesome and i, I mean i would definitely say compared to i don't know the history of wrestling or <laughs> just most people in general i'm pretty brand new to it I mean, I've only been wrestling for about three and a half years, mm. so. And it's, as well, like, you could, with you being from California, I think people presume that California, because PWG's there, is, is, 
it, it, it's a wrestling hotbed and I think it, it has been from time to time, but <clears throat> you're kind of the the current sort of Californian breakout star, aren't you? You're the one who's obviously made it to PWG, but we were talking before we started recording about the fact that you obviously you're in New York this weekend and, and things like that. So you've for for such a relatively short amount of time, you're 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 getting yourself out there, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean for for the most part, like I would say for the last I don't know, five to six years, people would probably consider California uh, kind of like a its own island because it's hard to get promoters to want to fly you out because the tickets are more expensive hmm. and uh, it's far to drive anywhere. Like San Francisco's five and a half hours away. Hmm. So it's like <clears throat> uh, most, most of the guys, they end up just kind of like staying here or there's like a lot of great talents that like nobody ever meets or sees which is unfortunate, but I think that's starting to change. I think a lot of, a lot more eyes are starting to come on South, Southern California. I think that's probably one of the reasons that PWG started, wasn't it? Was because obviously the, the six guys who originally started that, it, it obviously gave them uh, a platform. But it, again, that whole point of, oh, it's really expensive to fly people from, from California. And we, you know, progress and that we know this, like it's super easy to fly people from Florida or from New York it's really difficult to fly anyone from the UK to the UK rather from everywhere else. You know, it, it, it's not, and, and you're probably as far away from New York as I am from Moscow, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think British people, we, we tend to forget how, you know, how, um, how massive a country it is and also how huge California is as well. Like you must've done some, I mean, even, even now, you know, people are flying your places. You must have done some crazy drives between uh, between shows. Uh, I mean, it was actually I was actually lucky enough to like right when I was starting to get booked out of state. That's when guys like started flying me more. So I never really did any like huge drives other than like you know San Francisco and back a bunch of times. Um, but yeah, I never did any like ten plus hour drives. I mean, I've done plenty of them while touring, but not. Not in uh, wrestling. See, that's a good segue to this because, like, I think when when people sort of hear someone's been wrestling for for three years, like in this country, we're so used to people like Pete Dunne and, and Tyler Bate, who when they say they've been wrestling three years, that probably means they're sixteen. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you had a whole other life before wrestling, didn't you? And uh, which which I'm I'm aware the listeners may not be aware of, so I'm going to let you explain it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, in the context of wrestling, I am definitely old. Uh, I'm, thir- <laughs> I'm 31. Um, so I started wrestling when I was like about 27, and now I here I am now. Hmm. But before that, I I'm, I am in a band called God's Hate. Uh, it's been about the five years that we've been a band. Yeah, but I've been into hardcore and punk rock since I was like. 15 16 years old and and this is this is one of the cool things about when we went to seattle and you got tattooed and i got i got tattooed was the the guy who was tattooing you like you were talking to him and you had so many sort of links to him and the world of music and and that to me that's as cool as you being a great wrestler is the fact that you've got you've got all those stories and you've got all that exposure and you're in a band because Right, as a stand-up comedian, the only reason I became a comedian was because I had no musical talent whatsoever and could never be in a band. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so sort of, I mean, I remember years ago reading um, uh, reading a book about the sort of early 80s hardcore scene and, and in particular, like, like punk bands in the early 80s, like Black Flag sort of travelling around and sleeping on people's couches and stuff like that. And the, the sort of... Um, the, the People always presume touring means that you're you're staying in nice hotels and stuff like that. But if you've been touring for oh, five God. years, <laughs> how? What, what? I mean, you must have you must have done some serious journeys, and you must have you must have seen some sights. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've toured entire North America. I mean, Canada and the U.S. And then we've also been fortunate enough to tour uh, Japan. But like you said, when people talk to me about it, like 
guys at work or whatever, they'll be like, oh, so how much do you get paid for this? And you're like, oh, well, we don't really get paid. And like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, well, we make enough to like get from city to city and pay for the gas and maybe have like a couple hundred dollars in our pocket at the end, but we're not making like, we're not paying our mortgage on it. That's for sure. It's all pretty much for the, for the love of music and uh, for the love of the scene of what we do. And um, yeah, I mean, it definitely made wrestling a lot easier because when promoters started flying me places and putting me in a a hotel, I'm like, Oh, this is way easier than music (laughs) where where I'm like, all right, let's do like a 12 hour drive and then uh, sleep on a hardwood floor. Okay. Yeah, we're good. And that's the thing as well. Like with, I think with any form of performer, most performers get into it, be it music or wrestling or comedy or whatever. People get into it because they love doing it. You don't necessarily get into it because you think you're going to become a millionaire. Yeah. You, you get into it because you love being part of something. And, you know, that's why I got into comedy. I didn't get into it because I thought I was going to be rich and famous. I got into it because I like making people laugh. And, and I, I think, but I still, for, the first well, roughly about half of my stand-up career, I still had a job, you know, and you, you said it there, like you obviously, you were still working at the same time as being in a band, you know, and a band that's toured Japan. Like, you know, yeah. I, I got plenty of friends in bands who, you know, never get near that sort of level. So it's, yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. How do you balance, obviously with you still being in the band, how do you, how do you sort of balance it with wrestling commitments now? Is it, is it tricky to do that? Uh, not really. I mean, like every member of my band is in either one or multiple other bands. So yeah. it's like, it's almost like relaxing when one has to kind of die down, like then the other ones like go full steam. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've never been big on like doing multiple tours a year or anything. We'll, we'll do like one tour a year. That's like, you know, two weeks ish long. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, do weekends here and there we'll like fly to new york and and tour with some bands there or fly to um or drive up like the west coast and do like a weekend but we've never like really done like month-long tours so it's it's always been really easy to manage and especially with uh wrestling becoming much bigger now then it's like you know everyone understands that i'm just kind of doing my own thing right now but we're we're writing a, a new record and next year we'll probably do some more stuff so That'll be exciting to look forward to because I'm sure that at that point I'll be wanting to take a weekend off of wrestling or something like that. You know, <laughs> just talk. Just make sure you tour the UK, mate. That's all I ask. Um, uh, it's it's been on the list for quite some time. <laughs> so here's a, a sort of question for you. Then I suppose if if you didn't start training to wrestle till you're 27, but obviously you've you've always you've always been around music and around that sort of thing. Did you? I think that some people really struggle with wrestling training. They really struggle with the level of commitment for it. And they really struggle with some people get the technical aspects of it down, but struggle with the performance aspects of it. Did you, do you think that because you added a grounding in another form of entertainment, when you got started, you kind of picked it up quicker, if that makes sense? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've always been very like, if I like something, I'm very dedicated to it. So it's, that was never an issue. It's like, I knew that I, I was going to go full steam into this after going to my first wrestling show at the school that I then trained at. Mm. And then, um, as far as like the performing it definitely like being in bands or just being, I'm a pretty social person in general, I think has, has always helped, um, when coming to that thing. It's like, I've never really had stage fright. Obviously, everyone gets nervous, but I, I was never like worried about performing. No, no. I mean, I, I think that's uh, I think that's the thing with whenever I see new wrestlers, it is that the the people who who get it and take off quicker than others are the ones who who do seem to be able to sidestep those nerves. It's kind of you can be nervous backstage, but once the lights go on, there's no sign of you being nervous. Do you know what I mean? Like I know when you. Um, when you you debuted for us in New York, it was like, oh, he's been here all the time. Like so <laughs> that's how it felt. It's like, oh, he f- exactly fits in with what we do. Awesome. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think I think most wrestlers they probably 
I mean, from experience, they, they get in their own head and they're either overly critical or they're just, you know, nervous. But it's like I I've never cared about really anything like that. I mean, growing up, I was always the kid that tried to get everyone to laugh at him. So I was always just kind of a jackass my whole life. So <laughs> dancing around in my underwear is not really anything different. Um, so when you were a kid, I, I presume you were a wrestling fan when you were a kid. I presume you, it wasn't like one day you woke up in your 20s and went, oh, shit, wrestling's really cool. I presume, <laughs> I, I presume you were a wrestling fan as a kid. Yeah, a massive wrestling fan when I was a kid. So... So let's let's take us back to sort of I don't know twelve thirteen year old Brody. What was more important then? Was it was it wrestling or was it music? Uh, thirteen year old Brody. He definitely was in a very transitional period of his life. I mean, that's when I pretty much found like punk rock music and realized that was like everything I've ever been looking for. Mm. And that was also going from like. I was probably in the middle of my um, junior high school, which is like right before high school for us. Sure. So about uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And um, that's when wrestling became not cool anymore. Mm. So it was like, you know, I'm wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt, and people are like, you watch wrestling still? And I'm like, well, yeah, we were all <laughs> watching wrestling like a year ago. And then it's like, well, that's not cool anymore. It's like, okay, so what now? And then that's kind of that's kind of where uh, punk rock came in came into play. See, I had a similar thing. I think when I was thirteen was the point I fell out of love with wrestling for a bit, and just became, and especially I became the the kid who skateboarded to school and listened to loud music. That was that was my thing for several years, and then and then yeah, wrestling married up again. Wrestling married up again when I was at university and stopped caring what other people thought. And I think, who, who were your sort of, who's the first wrestlers you can remember sort of connecting to when you were a kid and, and, and being super into? The Undertaker was like instant since I was, you know, four years old until now. I still think he's fascinating. You see, this is the weird thing because I think I probably told you this before but my one of the reasons i fell out of love with wrestling was the undertaker and yet he's one of the reasons i fell back in love with wrestling because he's the one who threw, <laughs> fo- who threw finally off the cell and then i've seen at wrestlemania having you know countless classic matches but when i think because i'm a little bit older than you i think when i was sort of 13 years old and vince mcmahon was telling us that he wasn't sure whether he was alive or dead i was like no <laughs> <laughs> no I, I don't think i want this uh, so yeah, it was. It all of a sudden became something. I was just like, nope. Um, and see, as a kid, I'm like, what? He's not alive. This is the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. It's the difference in age, there, mate. Um, and because also, you're. I mean, you're fairly tall as well. So especially, this feels like the strangest caveat to give. Um, <clears throat> indie wrestlers just aren't very tall. Like you're one of the taller. I mean, how tall are you? Six five. Yeah, and for the for uh, for indie wrestlers to be six five feels really really unusual. So, I mean, were you a tall kid? Were you sort of connected to the Undertaker as well because he was he was taller than everybody else? Or was that just? Or was it just the the kind of sort of the image that he had? It was definitely just like the dark and spooky vibe that I uh, I was drawn to. Yeah, because I hate I hated Hulk Hogan. I hated like the eat your vitamins, like be a, <laughs> be a, be a good little kid. It's like, fuck that. You see, I was the same as a kid. I like the idea of you being a, a, a much smaller kid though, sitting there with, a, <laughs> with like, even before you found punk, do you know what I mean? Just sitting there like, no, no, it's not for me. <laughs> this is, I'm a much, I'm a much more dark and brooding character, even as a child. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, in which I feel like, you don't like you don't find punk like punk finds you like it, it it was always meant that i was supposed to like listen to that kind of music and be drawn to that group of people um so as a teenager sort of obviously you had a, a time of sort of with music sort of taking over and everything but was there was there ever a sort of strong desire within you to actually pursue wrestling even whether it be for a career or even just give it a go or was that just something that that 
in your 20s you thought, oh, no, I'll give it a go now? Because I know some people, like, I wanted to be a wrestler when I was a teenager and then and then realised that it would never really pay off for me and I just wanted to work behind the scenes. And then it took me 20 years to get to that point. Um, and, but I know there's some wrestlers like Trent Seven, he always wanted to do it, just never had time. Was it was that the case for you or was it was it that you always wanted to do it and then you finally got a chance or was it just something that you never thought you'd try and then decided to give it a go? No, it was definitely something I always wanted to do. Like I remember telling kids when when I was in junior high, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd always say a wrestler. And even like in my early twenties, my, my dad would be like, how do we get you a tryout with the WWE? They got, they got to see you. You're, you're huge. And I'm just like, <laughs> I have no idea. Dad. So it's like, your dad's uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, well, he's, he's like absolutely the reason that I'm a wrestling fan. I mean, he was a wrestling fan and kind of showed it to me and we'd watch wrestling together and he'd take me to live events. And that was kind of like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like any other sport except for professional wrestling. And even to this day, he'll still send me his like, watch this Undertaker match before he was the Undertaker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so that's the relationship I need to have with my son, definitely one hundred percent. Because I'm my grandmother was into wrestling and what made me watch World of Sport, but I never had that. I, I never had either of my like they'd tolerate it for me when I was a kid, but never that sort of like even now I don't think my dad really has a clue what I do. Um, uh, you know he's just like oh every now and again he just does something at Wembley Arena no I don't it's a big deal <laughs> um, <laughs> he goes and he stands in the middle of the ring he tells some jokes yeah that's what I, he's just like oh, he, he, he always loved the comedy but I don't think he gets the wrestling um, but that's really really cool do you have any sort of if your dad was taking you to wrestling shows do you have any sort of memories from when you were a kid and anything in, in particular uh, nothing in particular I just, I just remember you know standing on the seat and cheering and like just being in the arenas and it was just like it those are definitely fond memories that are in in my head um being like six or seven years old probably that's, and uh is, i mean wrestling was always just kind of part of our relationship that is so cool and i think it like you said with you mentioning that your dad wasn't into any other sport and i think i had this conversation with doing one of our bus journeys i was like you into any other sports and i think you went no not really and yeah no i hate them which is which is unusual for we get so used to seeing American guys of your size and of your power and going oh yeah play football in high school and you were just like nope <laughs> were you were you ever sort of did people ever sort of try and push it in that direction because you were a big dude or was it always just no I'm not interested yeah I mean uh, one of my cousins played for professional football so he was he played for like the Jets and the Dolphins and mm. the Broncos so it's like. My family, like my my mom's side of the family, was very into the idea of you know we're all six three and above and like you know over two hundred pounds we're all monsters. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the idea of like me not playing football, they're like what? And it's like I tried like when I was a freshman in high school and I hated it. I thought it was the worst sport in the world. And I don't know. Recently, I just saw a T-shirt from some company i don't know what it was but it just said uh not a team player and that like couldn't describe me more like (laughs) (laughs) i hated relying on other people like so much which is why i did wrestle in high school for four years but Hmm. mostly because i just wanted to be closer to professional wrestling i didn't really care about you know anything school spirit wise Hmm. It's quite, I mean, I've had a few American friends tell me that it is quite, the, the sort of amateur wrestling is quite a good grounding for when you get started in, in pro training, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was almost uh, 10 years since I had done wrestling mm. in high school to doing it professionally, but it definitely comes back to you a lot. I mean, even just like the lockups or the takedowns and stuff like that, and just your basic footwork kind of like never leaves you i guess hmm. and it and it was a very good transitional and like understanding the um the point you made before about the whole not a team player thing i think that's interesting because the last few weeks i've realized that the whilst professional wrestling when you when you watch it it's it's one guy trying to beat another guy it is still 
it's not a team sport in the same way that that football is or basketball or something like that. But it is still it is still a team sport. But I think it's a team sport that attracts the weird and wonderful. We're all we can kind of all work together. But I think it's very rare. I look in the progress locker room, for example, and think, oh yes, there's a lot of legitimate sports stars here. I always look in and go, there's a lot of people here who are kind of odd kids, and we've all been drawn together into this world, and now we'll all work together to make it make it good if that if that makes sense yeah i mean you look in the locker room and you see like jack sexsmith standing next to like walter and you're like in what world did this ever bring these two together (laughs) (laughs) so um when you decided to start training when you were you were 27 what was the what was the 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 sort of the thing that brought you to doing it because obviously i I presume it was kind of on your to-do list for a while but what was the thing that brought you to actually training them uh one of my friends met like a a worker from back in the days and he basically was like hey if you ever want to try wrestling or like whatever like i'll you know give you a couple personal training sessions at the school that i know of and if you're interested maybe you could sign up for the school so he went and did that and like he had posted a couple pictures and i was like what are you doing like (laughs) i need to be part of whatever you're doing Hmm. and that um that guy his name was augie Loya. he um invited my friend colin and i out to a wrestling show and we went and immediately the next day i signed up because it's like we it was like in this our school is in like a little warehouse um it fits about 40 seats inside the warehouse and we have uh like student showcases once a month and it was one of those that i went to and it was just like just seeing like the passion out of like these people, it it reminded me very much of like going to like a punk rock show in a small shitty venue. And it's just like, you're only there because you love it that much. Mm. I think that's, that's such a, when people like see a wrestling school for the first time, like I'd never been in one until I was involved in wrestling. And I remember going in and thinking if I'd have walked into a place like this at the age of 20, my life would have been very different because even though I was, I was never blessed with any form of athletic skill or anything like that. I, I still think I would have given it a go because it, I feel it instantly, it, it calls to any one of our persuasion, if 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 that makes sense. And and it, knowing that, I mean, was it was it super expensive for you to train? Because I know that in the states, through years of listening to podcasts, I know that it's the sort of thing that. Um, that can cost quite a bit of money. Was it, was it something that you had to sort of, you had to really save up to do or was it, or was it a, a more affordable thing than we're led to believe? Uh, I mean, it, it's definitely not cheap, but um, I've always been fortunate enough to, to have a very good job. So it, it was never like an issue for me. So I pretty much just signed up immediately and, and just started going at it. And then, because I have a job and I'm an adult, I was able to do a lot of a lot of like private trainings as well. So it's like I would be I would be at the school about five days a week. So I, I would go to work until about I worked from about six six AM to about four PM and then I would go to the school from about five until eleven o'clock at night and then do it all over again the next day. And I was I was doing that for probably about a year straight and obviously i mean having a having a day job is something that i think people sort of take for granted like i know when we started progress like everybody on our first show still had a day job and now probably it's maybe a third of people still have a day job um but on the american indies it's it's um, the majority of people apart from sort of your headliners will um if you if you don't mind, can you sort of explain to people what you actually do? Because there was a point when we were on tour in America that um, you told Glenn something that you did and it blew his mind. So um, <laughs> just let people know what you actually do when you're not wrestling. Uh, I do set lighting for movies and TV. So we go in and we set the power, we set the lights, and uh, we make movies and TV. And uh, the thing that blew Glenn's mind was that I worked on RuPaul's Drag Race for multiple seasons. <laughs> it was like, 
because I was already putting you over going, seriously, guys, Brody's awesome. And, <laughs> and Glenn had that look of, I'll be the judge of this. And then within five minutes of meeting you, I think he found that out. And he was like, nope, I'm done. And then... Uh, and yeah, then, it's like Glenn's <laughs> obsession with, with drag queens and wrestling met inside of me. And he was just like... <laughs> because we had that... Um, we had that day in Seattle, didn't we, where me, you, and Glenn just went and, and wandered. You were our tour guide to Seattle, which was um, it was one of my favourite moments of this year. We had a, just had a, a good day, sort of wandering around, went in a really cool record shop, um, uh, and uh, ate the best ice cream I've ever eaten. So um, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, I, I can't recommend you being a tour guide enough. Um, <laughs> uh, so. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about is it makes perfect sense with the day that it is, is, is about, is about being straight edge. So, um, like not, not everyone's rooted to being straight edge is the same. Some people are straight edge their entire life. Some people aren't. And, and what, what was your kind of, was it a decision you made when you were younger or was it something that you got to a point in your life and went, no, this is, this is the sort of, this is the life I want to lead now. Um, obviously with the, the music sort of going hand in hand, but, um, when was it that you sort of made that decision in your life? Uh, I was about 16, 17, um, in high school. And obviously like, you know, that's when kids start experimenting with Mm. drugs and alcohol, whatever else. And, um, I, I tried drinking a few times, a smoked pot, like, a handful of times and it was just like every time I just I didn't get it mm-hmm. and I was like oh maybe I'll get it eventually but then it just it just never came and I was like this is stupid and <laughs> I just I just didn't do it I don't know and then uh about that same time is when I when I got into like hardcore music I, I went you know transitioned from punk rock to hardcore mm. and I found out about straight edge and you know, the awesome bands and culture that that provides. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's me. I don't want to drink. I don't want to do drugs. Um, and these guys are speaking the same language as me and, and pretty much speaking to me. So that's, that's kind of what drove me in that direction. Did you find like I did that when CM Punk got really famous, it made explaining what straight edge was a lot easier. Uh, yes and no though, because it's like people think because they don't drink or do drugs that they're straight edge. And Mm. it's like, no, like not really. Like it's kind of like a commitment because you're into punk rock and hardcore. It's like a whole thing and they just don't get it, like fully get it. Mm. But if you're like, I'm straight edge and like, oh, like CM Punk, you're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Like (laughs) I I say this because once... A young man tried to sell me drugs in London when I was walking to a gig, and when I when I said no, he seemed quite surprised. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, he went he went. Do you, do you want some weed? And I went no. And normally that would be enough for someone to leave you alone, but he he sort of kind of went, why not? And I had to explain. <laughs> So I just went on, I'm straight edge. And, he, and his response was, oh, like CM Punk, no worries, they left me alone. And that was one time I was like, ah, oh, I'm glad he exists. Um, there's, I think there's quite an interesting sort of cross-section between wrestling and music um, for, for people being straight edge. Like there's, there's a Wikipedia um, page, which is a list of notable people who are straight edge. And nearly everyone on it is either in a band or is a wrestler, um, and uh, like a surprisingly large amount of wrestlers. Like obviously, you know, I know yourself, and I know like Matt Cross and and, and people like that. Um, but a surprisingly large amount of wrestlers. But obviously, I imagine that's the sort of page you could look through and know. It feels like you'd know nearly everybody on it. <laughs> it feels like you'd know everybody in the bands as well as everybody in <laughs> in wrestling. But is it the sort of thing that has helped you sort of? Obviously, it's helped you form friendships and relationships in the world of music, but is it the sort of thing that's helped you form friendships in in wrestling as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like once I like catch wind that like you know somebody is, claims that they're straight edge, mm. and it's like 
okay, so do you listen to, to hardcore music? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, we're good. We're friends. Like, <laughs> that's really all it, all, all it is. But I mean, even on top of that, it's like, you you just kind of have this bond with people when, because you just know that you lit you live a similar lifestyle and and you have a similar mindset because i mean aside from just not wanting to drink or do drugs it's like that's such a it's so foreign it's such a foreign thought to most people in the world mm. to like what you don't drink it's like why why is that weird like why is it weird to not want to poison your body i mean obviously it's weird that we beat our bodies into the ground as professional wrestlers <laughs> but but like i don't need any help destroying my body on top of that um i, I think it, it as well like um and you know not someone who claimed to be straight edge but but learning that guys from there was very few guys from the past in wrestling <clears throat> who were who were even teetotal unless and, until they got to a point where <clears throat> where they had a problem and then they'd quit drinking or doing drugs or whatever and I, I was learning about Killer Kowalski when I was putting my book together and how he didn't drink, didn't smoke, and was a vegan, which in the 50s and 60s was ridiculously unusual. And wouldn't, he kind of was the opposite way. He wouldn't travel with people who, who smoked or drank, so he'd have to travel on his own. Whereas I know now, you know, if I'm on a bus full of, of wrestlers, um, and, you know, there's, there's going to be a few people on the bus who are having a drink and there's going to be a few people like myself who aren't. You know, there's, it, there's, being straight edge is more to it than that. But there are, it does feel that it's quite easy to bond with people over choosing to, um, choosing to not drink, which I, I know I grew up, in, growing up in Britain where we, we have a drink, a, a massive drink problem. Like American people think it's hilarious. <laughs> how drunk we are as a nation. I know this. You know, I, I remember doing stand-up in LA and explaining that I was straight edge at the start of a, a show and being told that I wasn't, and not because I didn't listen to punk music, because I do, and not because I don't drink, smoke, or do drugs, all of which are the things I don't do. But I got told that because um, I got told I wasn't straight edge enough. I think I've told you this story before. Like, I got told I wasn't straight edge enough because I wasn't a vegan, um, and I wasn't... Uh, and and uh, I wasn't abstinence from sex, so I got told that I wasn't straight edge enough. And you being a Californian, is this a is this a genuine? Did I just come across someone really difficult, or is this a genuine thing where where there's almost like a, you're not straight edge enough kind of kind of vibe to some people? No, well, you just came across an asshole. That's, <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like there's definitely the people out there. Like I remember hearing that like in the nineties, like earth crisis would say like, if you weren't vegan, then you weren't straight edge yes. because consuming animals are, is like just as bad as drinking or doing drugs. And it's like, no, it's not. I mean, you can have your opinions on, on being vegan or, or vegetarian or not, but it's like they, they don't go hand in hand with, I guess they do go hand in hand with straight edge, but they're not the same. Mm. And, uh, this, the same, you probably, Oh, the the person telling you that probably isn't straight edge at all. They're probably just a dick that, like, <laughs> I'm sure you've encountered this. They're like people that are like, "Well, do you drink energy drinks?" And you're like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Well, caffeine's a drug." And you're like, "Fuck off." Like, <laughs> we had the, we had this discussion in America whilst buying energy drinks. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous, and it's always people that aren't straight edge that want to tell you why you're not straight edge. And you're like, "Okay, cool." Uh, we don't need to talk anymore. <laughs> well, it, it, so weirdly, I've had the the people who always used to criticise any comedy I did. So you'd have people misconstruing a point and or ba and basically saying, "Oh, you're a misogynist," and it would always it, it would always be someone who who my material wasn't targeting that would tell me that I was in the wrong. So yeah, there's always people who choose to. Um, question your commitment to something where they're not committed to it as well. So I think you're probably right. The person, I mean, the person who spoke to me in LA, like it's like they wanted me to be a monk. So you know, it's not going to happen. Um, I'm afraid. So yeah. Um, the, I think I think I think in your country they call those people cunts. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite bit about having American friends is how much you guys love saying that word. Because it's, it feels like it's much less offensive in this country. 
Like whenever oh, Americans in, are here, in America, just... it is like it is probably top five worst things that you could ever <laughs> say to like a female. It's just like I've, I've had American friends over the last few months, and they're just whenever they're here, like you'll see them, you'll hear them say it like two or three times a day, like they're trying to get their quota in before they leave, which is <laughs> which is always fun. Um, so um, back to wrestling. Um, can you remember, and, and uh, I'm hoping, because it's only just uh, three-ish years ago that you can, can you remember who your first ever match was against? Yeah, he was, uh, it was against a student from our school. His name is Darwin Finch, and he is, uh, he is the scientific wrestler or the punk rock poindexter, as he goes by. What's he a has great a name. Nerdy, <laughs> he has a very nerdy gimmick, but he is also like, very smart and he's very good with like technical grap- gra- grappling and stuff like that. Oh, that's and how, how far into training were you when you had your first match? Uh, about a year and a half almost. Right. And how did it go? Because I ask this a lot whenever I interview wrestlers, I always ask them how their first match went. Um, and it, it seems to be a 50, 50 split between it actually went okay. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> So, uh, uh, <laughs> which one are you? It actually went quite well. I mean, in the context of things, like I definitely feel bad for Darwin because I beat the hell out of him. <laughs> it's like coming out, I was just like so excited to to finally debut, and like I'm so much bigger than him. I just recall like watching the the video back, and there's a point where I'm stomping him in the corner, and it looks like I'm trying to touch the mat through his through his chest like i'm tr- i'm just taking a piece of his soul with me and i'm just like i am i am so sorry <laughs> <laughs> when you said taking a piece of his soul with me i was like no i can imagine exactly what that looks like um <laughs> and so once you you'd had your first match obviously you mentioned obviously you had shows at the school you were at um but how far was it until how much longer was it until you were you were starting to get booked in not necessarily in the places you've been booked now, but you know, even in other places around Southern California, how long did it, did it sort of take for that to sort of kick off? Uh, I feel like it was a little bit slower for me than, than most people because, you know, I am such a big person and because of how I look, it's like most promoters, I don't know if they knew really what to do with me. They're like, mm. well, what, you know, cause most guys are five, nine, whatever, like, pretty nondescript looking so it's like you could have them go and job to anybody or just be you know a, in a battle royale or something but it's like i feel like when people see me they're like oh okay so what do we do with this six five heavily tattooed giant like <laughs> we can't just have him lose to you know so and so and i'm like well i guess yeah you can and they're like no no we can't i'm like all right and then i don't have any work so it, it, it was definitely a slower process for me starting to get bookings because of the way that I look or the way that I wrestle. Um, but then once the ball started rolling, I was very fortunate with, you know, promoters giving me opportunities and, and bigger opportunities at that. So what do you think was the thing that sort of really kicked it into high gear for you? I mean, like you say, I mean, there aren't, and I've said it earlier as well, that not many guys on the Indies who are your size or who look like you. And, and it, it, I mean, obviously that that adds something, but if you were the shits, people wouldn't be booking you either. Do you know what I mean? You, you're good as well as looking a certain way. So, what was the thing that was the one match in particular? Or was it just was it just a sort of accumulation of experience that that led to things sort of stepping up? Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a mixture of um, just getting my reps in, and then also. Uh, about a year in, I started working with um, PCW Ultra, which is based here in, in L.A., and they were a new promotion at the time. I think they were on maybe their second show. And I had recently broken my leg doing a moonsault in training, and I was probably – I was definitely a few weeks um, 
I, I would say like probably maybe halfway through my healing period. Hmm. And I thought it would be a great, they were having a, a uh, seminar with or at, at the, at the show before the show. And like, basically they were going to pick a couple guys to be on the show. Hmm. And I was like, well, this is my opportunity. I don't care that I have a broken leg. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I took, I took the boot off that cause I had a walking boot. I didn't have the, I didn't have a cast. Uh, I took the boot off and I went and did the seminar <laughs> with a broken leg and I guess I impressed the the promoter and he was like, listen, um, we can't put you on the show because you are injured, but if you weren't injured, you'd absolutely be on the show tonight. So from that, that point forward, I was, I was kind of like part of their, their crew. And, and he eventually, um, booked me to be part of like their, their heel stable there. And like, just kind of like started getting me familiar with, that locker room and that promotion, which was a huge help. And, and I can't thank them enough for kind of like introducing me to the people that they were introducing me to not to mention the, the head of the heel stable was Kevin Sullivan. So just being about, uh, being being about (laughs) a year in and like getting to learn from the taskmaster was insane. So that's, that's so cool. Um, (laughs) um, I think you told me the story about you breaking your leg <clears throat> and that's that's even more amazing if you think about it because you've got what three and a bit years into into the business but have had a bad injury in that time you know having a broken leg's no fun it keeps you out for a while so it must have been if you're if you've got a broken leg when you're just starting things off you must have been like absolutely itching to to get back to things yeah so I actually have like kind of a weird history with with injuries um i'm like notorious for getting injured but like pretending like i'm perfectly fine oh you're like a rep- broke- oh you mean you're a professional wrestler then <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't even know if it's pretending like i, I like convince myself that i'm fine oh like right. <laughs> <laughs> um before i was even a wrestler i broke my jaw at a at a show we got in a stupid fight and I broke my jaw and I was like, oh, I, I need to go to the doctor. I have a broken jaw. My friends were like, no, you don't. I was like, yeah, I do. And then I went to the hospital and the doctor was like, you don't have a broken jaw. Like you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me. I said, okay. And then he gave me like one of those like tongue depressors. He's like, bite this in half. I did. I was like, just give me an x-ray. And then he came back. He's like, oh yeah, your jaw's broken. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. And then like, so the next day I had to go to a specialist and mind you, this was a week before the first God's hate tour. Hmm. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I have a broken jaw. I'm supposed to play four shows next weekend. And the doctor said, well, you could either have your jaw wired shut. You could have surgery or you could do nothing and hope that it heals fine. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go with nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I did nothing. And then I played the first four God's hate shows with a broken jaw. <laughs> Um, so so then fast forward to breaking my leg I broke my leg went to work the next day uh, did my normal job which is walking around a lot and going up and down ladders and stairs and then I wrestled that night and like I was just like man it feels like a really bad muscle is pulled in my leg and so the next morning I went to the hospital and like oh yeah your leg's broken I was like oh cool (laughs) so that was breaking my leg. And then in December of last year, I, I tore my ACL on my knee. And three weeks later, I was wrestling again. So I don't know. I I just don't – maybe I just don't feel pain, and that's a good and bad thing. I, I think <laughs> there's something like certain wrestlers – not all wrestlers, but quite a vast majority of the wrestlers I know – I think it's it's that thing of, well, I've got to keep working or I don't get paid. Um, and the amount of wrestlers will be like, oh, yeah, I'd, there's, there's loads that have got stories of, of, oh, I didn't realize that I'd got a broken hand or a broken foot or something like that. I don't, I've never met anyone who's had a broken leg um, and didn't realize that's, that's a new level of insanity. <laughs> <clears throat> Especially when you're a big dude and your legs are big. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. 
<laughs> well, my, bo- my boss at work, I <coughs> texted him a picture of the x-ray, and I was like, hey, remember when I was going to go to, like, a massage therapist because I had, like, a, a knot in my leg? He's like, yeah. I was like, it turns out it's broken. He goes, wait, what? He's like, <laughs> you, you were walking around and going up and down ladders. I was like, yeah, no. So I won't be at work on Monday. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, so a uh, question about sort of ambitions for you, because at the minute, obviously you're, you're a regular at PWG now. Um, you're, uh, you're doing great things at Defy up in Seattle. Um, you uh, worked for AAW this last weekend over in yep, uh, Chicago. I'm, I'm the AAW champion. Of course. Um, and so... AW are a great company. They've got a lot of faith in you. You work, uh, you work over in New York and places like that all the time. So you, you're clearly, you know, getting around. Um, but what's what are your what are your ambitions for the next few years? I mean, I also know that, like, if you you'd probably be fine if you stayed at this level, because you you know you have got a job and you've got your band and everything. But I'm, I'm presuming there's there's more you want to do now. You're just getting started. So so what what, what would you like to be doing? Uh, in a perfect world, I would love to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm. Which you know, I can I can see you in that. I can see you in that role. <laughs> um, it, I mean, I'd, I'd worry about hotels letting you in with all the tattoos. But apart from that, um, <laughs> I think it's probably changed. I mean, do you? I mean, obviously, you grew up watching WWE and stuff like that. But since you since your fandom has increased, have you sort of gone back and watch what sort of the, the giant sort of monster Gaijin were doing in Japan in the in the, the 70s and 80s and is, is that where you're getting your inspiration from or is it just that style of wrestling at the minute? Uh, no, it's 100% like once I became a wrestler and like I found that's kind of when I found Japanese wrestling hmm. I instantly fell in love with it and it's like this is what I want to do like this is the coolest wrestling in the world to me so you know Definitely guys like Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, um, Dr. Death, Terry Gordy. Like, those guys were doing stuff. Bam Bam. Like, the stuff that they were doing in Japan in the 80s. And even, like, you know, Vader was doing insane stuff. Mm. It they were, they were just, like, so ahead of their time. And I feel like a lot of those guys never really got, got the credit that is due for, for the stuff that they did because it was – in a different country. But I mean, like uh, I went, when I toured with my band in Japan, um, there's multiple, you know, newsstands that sell wrestling magazines or like wrestling stores and stuff like that, which like you go in there and you see these books and DVDs and like posters of like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. And like these guys that aren't celebrated as much in the U S are like, you know, gods in Japan. I got um, <clears throat> I got sent a couple of patches the other day. One is uh, Abdul the Butcher carving uh, Bruiser Brody, um, and the other one is uh, Stan Hansen and Vader just punching each other in the face. Just these little patches that are going to go on the back of my jacket, and they're the, cool, and they're the coolest thing because <clears throat> there's um, there's a wrestler here in the UK called Rampage Brown. I know he's a huge Bruiser Brody fan, and when his daughter was born. He'd just sit with her, making her watch Bruiser Brody matches, and <laughs> and again, like Japanese wrestling was something I found when I was in my early twenties, and and got tapes and DVDs from from overseas, and that's when I fell in love with the the four pillars of all Japan and 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 stuff like that. But the just the way that <clears throat> the way that guys like Brody and Hansen and Vader in particular were were revered in Japan, and I don't think. And I know that there's a lot of Americans in Japan and Canadians in Japan at the minute who are doing great things, but I don't think there's anyone, you know, like yourself, who's a, who's a big dude who can go and, and go in and just destroy people. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's something that when we were on, on tour in, in America in August and you, you told me that, I was like, oh, I can totally see that. I can totally see that. Um, and also, I, I also like to think that you probably wouldn't join a stable and you just kill people on your own as well, which is even yeah. <laughs> which is even cooler. Um, <clears throat> have you, when you were out touring in Japan, did you, because of you being a wrestling fan, did you 
did you find yourself sort of trying to get to shows or or or, or anything like that, or was it just a case of no, here for music and uh, you know I, I I've got to kind of do one thing rather than the other. Well, no, actually, um, Rocky Romero is like one of my trainers. Like he he did kind of like my finishing school. So ah. when I was in Japan, he was also in Japan. So the first night we landed, he invited Emily and I out for dinner. So we went and hung out with him and and um, Trent, and we kind of just like hung out. And he showed us some stuff around uh, around Tokyo, which was really cool. That's so cool. And then uh, and then he actually. Uh, got me into like a couple training sessions with um this lucha he's like a a luchador he used to work for i think ddt his name was hayate and he he's like this 50 year old little luchador man that was like (laughs) the most insane lucha he was like doing like the most insane lucha and i was like this is awesome and so i got to train with him like a couple times and uh we got to go to a pay-per-view at Raigoku Sumo Hall. So oh, that was cool. That was awesome. Um, just quickly, the, on a, a lucha point of view, and I think this might be something we've spoken about privately before, but with you being from Southern California, when you were training, there, there must have been quite a big lucha influence in, in the school in general, one would imagine. Yeah, I mean, our full training is definitely heavily influenced by lucha. It's like a mix between American and lucha. But then <clears throat> when you graduate from the – or about midway through your normal training, um, it's required that you take the lucha class, which is, is headed by um, two luchadors named Zocre and Phoenix Star. They uh, they were very instrumental in, like, the early days of PWG. Like I remember them. They're uh, great. Yeah, they were – they are they are still an incredible tag team. And they have – very well blended um, American psychology with Lucha Libre. Hmm. So learning these spots and like, kind of like figuring out how they can be put into regular matches is, has been huge in my career Hmm. just because it's like, you're not used to seeing a six foot five guy doing a Huracarana or like, you know, doing some like top rope aerial stuff. Hey man, I've seen how nimble you are. I've seen you hit the ropes. The ropes break. You roll out the ring, jump back in. Our show in Detroit. The ropes break. You go out the ring, jump straight back in, and dive back over the other side. You know, I've seen how nimble you are. Like now, knowing about your lucha background as well, it makes me want to do you and Bandido more than anything else, um, just to see what would happen. Um, Oh, that would be incredible. It'd be nuts, wouldn't it? Um, Have you wrestled in Mexico yet? Uh, I have, I wrestled at the crash. Oh, of course. Yes. I'm going to say in my head, I was like, I'm sure Brody's been to Mexico. Um, Good Tijuana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's only kind of only just over the border, isn't it? Cause it's where I know it's where the British strong style boys and that, and that wrestled in, in August. Um, yeah. Was it, was it something that, and obviously Japan's a big thing for you, but was wrestling in Mexico always a thing that you kind of wanted to do? Or was it, was it just something that, Oh, it's a booking. I'll, I'll you know, I'll go and wrestle everywhere and I'll do it a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely the, the latter. I mean, I did, I kind of, it was never like a huge desire for me, um, but it was definitely something I wanted to kind of knock off my wrestling bucket list. Hmm. Um, it's definitely different. Like, even just being a few hours away, it is so different than like American wrestling. Hmm. Um, okay, so as we wind up, let's, you mentioned bucket lists. Let's, let me ask you a couple of questions about things. Because obviously you've mentioned big ambition for you, ending up in Japan, um, hopefully for New Japan, doing cool things there. But what have you got sort of a, a bucket list of places, you, like venues you want to wrestle in and, and opponents? And is there anything like that that jumps into your head that you're, you're desperate to sort of check off sooner rather than later? Uh, I mean, I, w- I would love to, it was so- sooner than later, mm-hmm. um, I would love to make it, you know, to the UK or make it to Europe in general, just like get all over the the place, Germany and, and the UK. Uh, maybe, maybe my friend Jim can help me out. With I that. mean, I'm, I'm believe me, mate, I'm working on it as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I get a chance to have a great wrestler wrestle for progress and hang out with me. Yeah. I'm working on that. Um, <laughs> definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just like, it's been, it feels like 
I have, I've, I obviously haven't been doing it to, that long, mm. but it just feels like everything is moving so fast that I don't know what to expect is coming next. It's like, you know, if it, if I've gotten this far in three years, who knows where I'll be in three more. Yeah. So it's, I don't, my expectations are, are all over the place. I mean, it, I could be not wrestling in three years or I could be, you know, world champion of the entire universe. I don't know. <laughs> do you think it's, I'm just kind of, do, do you think you're going to have to sort of, is there going to be a point where you have to kind of forget the day job? Obviously they, they seem to be fairly understanding about you, you wrestling and, and you being able to sort of work around that. But is there well, going to be a point luckily where you I've, I've, I've been a union member for 13 years. So, yeah. and I can kind of come and go as I please oh, as, as long as I keep up with my union dues. So it's like, it's almost the perfect job to have while being a wrestler because it 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 affords me the the life that I live. I you know live in Southern California, which is not cheap. <laughs> if I lived anywhere else, I, I would be able to survive off of wrestling. But uh, <laughs> I definitely have my day job still. But yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like you know it it definitely is a possibility that I could do wrestling full time mm. and. Um, and and be able to stay at home more <clears throat> with uh you know a kid on the way that's that's pretty much the dream yeah what what's a dream just have to bring the whole family when you come and tour europe you just have to bring the whole family with you mate that's what you gotta do <laughs> i think that that you know that would be a good plan <laughs> um listen um i shall i shall uh, let you go shortly but um before you leave us um do Plug all the things that you want to plug your uh, your Twitter, your merch, your band, everything, so our lovely listeners know where to find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brody X King. Uh, I have a big cartel. It's um, Brody X King dot Big Cartel dot com, and uh, my band is God's Hate. You can check it out on iTunes or Spotify. Um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for speaking to me, uh, my friend. I will um, I'll get working on getting you over here as soon as possible. Um, uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I shall, I shall catch up with you soon. Thank you very much, Brody. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to hang up the phone and instantly start texting each other. Yeah, we are. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. All right. Bye, Jim. That was my best friend, Brody King. Um, fantastic wrestler. Uh, wonderful human being. Um, and hard-working son of a gun, isn't he? Wrestler, in a band, still has a day job, soon to be a father. He's, he's a good, good, good guy. Um, do check out the links uh, in terms of getting hold of his merch. Do go and see him if he's at a show near you. I'm hoping he'll be in Europe at some point in the future. Um, and people over here can see him. But if you're one of the people who listen to this show in America, then do go and see him when he's wrestling for the companies he wrestles for in California, when he wrestles for Defy up in Seattle when he wrestles for AAW in Chicago where he's the champion when uh, he wrestles over in New York for various companies there and on the East Coast do check him out he's a great dude and go and talk to him when he's selling merch because honestly he's a really really good guy um, got a lot of time for that man uh, and a very very bright future ahead of him final plugs from me at Jim Smallman on Twitter progresswrestling.com demand-progress.com and remember this podcast is part of the wonderful Distraction Pieces Network I will see you guys next week. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 